Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsberry, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Well, I don't know if you have been among those who have paid attention to something that's going on at the Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, but, but God has been pouring out His Spirit in a very dramatic and unique way in that place over the last couple of weeks. And uh, He is answering prayers uh, of His saints uh, around the nation and around the world who are asking Him to, uh, to revive us and to, to work in our lives and in our churches and in our nation. And I'm just so thankful and excited to, to see what God is doing there. I don't know if you've paid attention to it or not, but if you haven't, there's a, a group of students on this campus uh, that it has just grown from that. There are now thousands, tens of thousands of people who are pouring into this tiny town because they've been worshiping nonstop for, I think it's going on uh, 13, maybe 14 days now, um, coming up this week and um and, and God's been doing a lot of great things uh, among the lives of the people who are there. And uh, I've, I've heard people talk about, um, and, and I talk about this since we are in the middle of what we call Awaken. But, but I've heard folks talk about that this, this is called an outpouring of the Spirit. And it is a, a unique way that God is pouring out His Spirit on people as we've seen Him do in Scripture and, and throughout history. And that's, that's an outpouring. And, and it turns into a, a revival, they say, when the church... When God's people begin to repent and confess and realign their lives with the ways and the will of God. And that turns into an awakening when the church and all that God is doing in their life begins to impact culture. And that's what we're praying about. A couple of weeks ago, I stood here and told you that is my heart's desire. And that is a prayer I pray constantly. And I'm just very, very excited to see God doing that and answering those prayers. And and I am expectant and looking forward to see how that continues to grow and what God continues to do. I've been thinking about just little things. Um, and I, I think about just a, a few weeks ago, a month ago, I guess it may be that the whole nation was tuned in or a large part of the nation was tuned into a football game that dramatically changed when someone got hurt and this country turned to God in prayer And people were praying on national TV in Jesus' name to God, and no one was complaining about that. And that's just one small way that God was at work. This is another way that God is at work. This revival, this outpouring that's taking place in Wilmore, Kentucky, is only about 40 miles away from a place called Cane Ridge, Kentucky. If you know anything about church history in America, there was a a revival in Cane Ridge, Kentucky in 1801. But before that, there were a number of moves and outpourings and revivals that began to happen as God was gearing up to do a work in our nation. And uh, that Cane Ridge revival was the beginning of what we call the Restoration Movement. It was the beginning of Churches of Christ and Christian churches in America. And it was the beginning of God doing what they call the second great awakening in American history as society was impacted by Christians who were revived and repenting and realigning their lives with the ways and the will of God. And so uh, I'm just thankful to see God doing it again. And so this week, since this is in the middle of our season of Awaken, 
This week, I've, I've called the other Awakened pastors together on Wednesday at noon at the Mustangs for Christ Student Center. Jeremy is contacting the other campus ministers. We're just going to spread the word among our church and among the, the students at, at M4C. And so I would love to invite you to join us Wednesday at noon at uh, M4C. And we're just going to pray. And we're going to thank God for an outpouring of His Spirit. We're going to ask God to do it again and to do it here. And uh, just seek the face of the Lord. And uh, one thing that's that's been striking to me as I watch what's going on in Kentucky is when God moves, when God shows up in a really specific way, people are drawn to him. People from all over the nation and all over the world are coming into that small town because people are drawn to God because we were created by God and we are God's children and we're not complete without God. And so this is just a reminder as we pray for our eight people this month. Don't give up praying for those folks. If you've kind of grown stale in the middle of the month, this is a, a morning to renew your commitment to keep seeking God. To keep fasting and putting something down so that you can pick something up. Keep memorizing Romans 8. Keep praying every day for God to work in the lives of the people that you are lifting up to him and that they would be drawn to God. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for you, for the fact that you have always initiated. You've always gone first. Your word tells us that you loved us first. You're the one who created us. To have a relationship with you. Created us in your image. You're the one who loved us. You're the one who sent your son. Who initiated a rescue mission. Who initiated salvation. You're the one who came to save us. To seek us. To draw us to you through Jesus. You're the one who did what you promised you would do and you poured out your spirit on all people, on men and women. And you're the one who still pours out your spirit. You're the one who still works and draws us to you. And I pray that you would do that in my life. I pray that you do that in our lives, God. As your people, as your church, draw us to you. Make yourself known to us. Show us the ways, God. That we need to repent. The things that we need to confess. The ways that we each need to realign ourselves With your will for us. Father begin with us. You say in First Peter you begin with the church. With God's people. But we ask that you move into our culture. And into the world. And that you do. Awaken the church to lost people. And that you would awaken the lost. To your son Jesus. And so we pray this month father. For, for people that we love. That we know that we care so deeply about. And we pray that those folks. Would be overwhelmed and overcome. By your love for them. And your grace. And your mercy and your salvation. We ask for that. In Jesus name. Amen. That has got to be one of my favorite songs. I love that song. I love the, the harmonies of that song. I love the words of that song straight from God's word from the Psalms. And if he is our shield, 
If He is the one who is strong and powerful and for us, if He is the one who lifts our head, then we can say no to fear. No to fear. That's the message from the part of Romans chapter 8 that we will be in today. No to fear. And once we can say no to condemnation, then we can say no to fear. We do not have to live afraid. We do not have to live timid. We do not have to live ashamed. We do not have to live with regret. We do not have to live with timidity. We do not have to live with powerlessness because He is our shield. He is the one who lifts our head. And I think it's so interesting that in Romans 8... It says for us who are now under no condemnation to not go back to fear. Does that strike you as kind of an interesting phenomenon, an interesting concept? Why in the world would you go back to fear? Why would you go back from where you came? And God's given us the Old Testament And he's given us the stories of the Old Testament to teach us. And one of the most powerful teachings, I think, is we look at the Old Testament and we look at what God did in his people there. All of that a foreshadowing to what he will do for us, his people today through Christ. One of the things we see is that the the Israelites, the Hebrews, the children of God, they were in Egypt. They were in slavery. They were in bondage. They were held against their will. They were under a death sentence. And they cried out to God because every day for them was drudgery and back-breaking labor as they built the monuments and the thrones of Pharaoh of Egypt. And they cried out to God and God heard their cry and he sent a man named Moses to deliver them from bondage. And he led them out of Egypt and he led them into the desert and he led them toward The promised land. But how many times in those years of wandering, when things got hard, and when things were not going like they thought they should go, and when days and weeks of suffering had to be endured, how many times did they say, oh, if we could only go back to Egypt. Things were better in Egypt. If we could only go back to Egypt and we read that and we think, why in the world would you going to go back to Egypt? Why would you go back to slavery and back to bondage and back to fear when God's leading you to deliverance and salvation and life and freedom? But there's something in us. Something in too many of us. That wants to go back. Back to fear. Back to death. Back to Egypt. Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself 
testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Again, what God did then is a foreshadowing of what he would do for us. They were being held in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And we, outside of Christ, were held in bondage and slavery to sin and to death. He raised up for them a redeemer named Moses. And he has raised up for us a redeemer. And his name is Jesus. And by God's grace and by his mighty hand and his wonderful works, God rescued them and brought them out. And the same is true for us. By his grace and his mighty hand and his wonderful works through his son and through the spirit, he has brought us out. And they were led by day. And God was in a pillar, a cloud. And they were led by night. And God was in a pillar of fire. And there's not a day or a night that we're not led by the very spirit of the living God. And he led them out of bondage and he pointed them and he led them toward an inheritance he had waiting for them. And the same is true for us. He has led us out of slavery and bondage and he has pointed us and he is leading us to an inheritance that he has waiting for us. And if we will persist, if we will endure, If we will overcome and not give up and share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glory. So we need to be reminded not to go back. Don't go back to condemnation. Don't go back to fear. Don't go back to an old way of life. Don't go back to old habits of sin. Don't go back to old debts of death. Don't go back to the emotions and the behaviors that sin and death stir up in us. Don't go back to shame. Don't go back to regret. Don't go back to addiction. Don't go back to abuse. Don't go back to guilt. The list of things that we're tempted to go back to is long. And there's some of you in this room this morning who are tempted to go back. To go back to fear. To go back to fear of God's condemnation. To go back to fear of your father's disapproval. To go back to fear of not being good enough or doing enough. To go back to being, to fear of not being loved or not being accepted by God. And if that's you, if you're tempted to go back, if you find yourself looking back over your shoulder, I want to remind you this morning of the very first view that we had from the summit of Romans chapter 8. That beautiful, breathtaking, life-changing view that we saw from the summit of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And no means no. And God said it. And we can believe it. And no means no. And if no means no to condemnation, then what we saw last week in Romans 8 is that no can mean no to sin. 
We can sin less. No means no to sin. The Holy Spirit's given us a new nature. And so this week, what I want us to see from this portion of Romans 8, that when no means no to condemnation, it can mean no to sin and it can mean no to fear. Because fear is the emotion of condemnation. The spirit of fear cooperates with condemnation. It's the companion of condemnation. And, and Paul teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us in 2 Timothy, that we have not been given a spirit of timidity or fear. The people of God do not have a spirit of timidity or fear. Fear is for those who are condemned, not for those who are saved. Fear is for slaves, not for those who are free. Fear is for servants, not for sons and daughters. And so you can say no to fear when you believe that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And I think this passage gives us two things to hold on to, two things to think about, two things to stand on and remember when we're tempted to go back. And the first one is, I want you to remember, when you're tempted to go back, remember that you belong to the family. You belong to the family of God. Did you notice as you were looking this week at this passage, how many times the word children come up? Sons and daughters, children, brothers and sisters. You aren't slaves. You're children. You don't work for the family as servants. You belong to the family as sons and as daughters. And here's an analogy that's really not a good analogy, but I think it works. When I think about being a part of the family, I think about the mafia. I mean, there's something about being a part of the family. And when you're a part of that family, there is protection. And people aren't going to mess with you. Because they know what family you belong to. And if somebody's bullying you or if there's an enemy approaching you and, and starts to push you around or to threaten you, you just stand up to them and say, do you know what family I belong to? And even more of that, you say, you know who my, my father is? He's the godfather. I told you it wasn't a great analogy, but it works. You won't forget that one. Because you belong to the family. You belong to the family of God. And when your enemy comes in and starts pushing you around and threatening you and making accusations against you and trying to bring you down, you don't cower in timidity and fear. You armor, you are in the armor of God. And Romans, Ephesians 6 says you stand. And you say, do you know what family I'm a part of? I belong to God the Father. And I'm a son and a daughter. When you are tempted to go back to fear and timidity and slavery and sin and the flesh, you remember you are a part of the family. That means something. It changes things. And how did you get in this family? You were adopted into this family. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. 
You were adopted into this family. Adoption is a beautiful thing. There, there are some of you in this room who adopted a son or a daughter. There are some of you in this room who, who have been adopted into a family. How blessed you are. Adoption is a beautiful picture. I have two nephews and a niece who were adopted into our family. Some of the best memories of our family is when we gathered at each one of those occasions. When they became a part of our family. Two of them were babies. Just days old. One of them was 12 years old. We usually think about adoption for, for little babies. But really in, in, the, in the New Testament world. In the Roman world specifically. When they talked about adoption. They usually weren't talking about adoption of little babies. They were talking about adoption of of teenagers or even young adults because usually what would happen is a family who did not have an heir would adopt someone into their family yes so that they could love them and 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 and, and enlarge their family but they adopted them so they would have someone that, that that would be their heir and that they could pass on their name to and and pass on their 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 blessings to and and their wealth and their riches and their status and their somebody they could pass on that's, that's the idea of adoption here in Romans chapter 8. It's an intentional plan of God to bring more sons and daughters into his family. Yes, so that he could love us. Yes, so that he can embrace us. Yes, so that his family would grow. But even more than that, specifically in this passage, he adopts you. He brings you into his family. Why? So that you can be an heir. An heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. That means you are, you are brothers and sisters. That's why we use that term. We're brothers and sisters in the family with Jesus. And all that is belongs to Jesus. All that is going to be handed down to Jesus. We get to share in that. And the storehouses of God are abundant. Yes? We are heirs of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have been adopted. Into the family. So when you're attempted to go back to condemnation and go back to fear, you say, no. No, I remember what family I belong to. And the second thing I want you to remember is when you're tempted to go back, when you're discouraged and depressed and in despair and you're tempted to go back to condemnation, tempted to go back to an old habit, to an old lifestyle, to the flesh, to sin, to debt, to fear. When you're tempted to go back to that, I want you to cry out to your father. Cry out to your father. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And because we have been adopted as children in the family of God, we can cry Abba, Father. That's, that's the most intimate term for a daddy in the Hebrew language. That's just all it means. It just means daddy. It was probably the second word after mama that little boys and girls learned when they were learning to talk. Whenever we were in Israel, I had gone into a bathroom to wash my hands And there was a father and a son in the bathroom. And they were speaking Hebrew, I assume. It wasn't English. And if you've taken your little boy into the bathroom, you remember what that's like. 
They want to talk and they want to tell you things. They want to point out things. They want to do everything except the business that they were brought in there to do. And that's what was going on with this daddy and his little boy. And as I was washing my hands without understanding anything that was being said, I kept hearing one word I recognized. And I kept hearing that little voice say, Abba. 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 And boy, it just made my heart swell up. I remembered Romans chapter 8. And we have the right. And we have the relationship. To say to the king of the universe, Abba. And he'll listen. You know, when you're scared and you cry out. When your, when your kid's scared and they're in bed and they cry out, they don't go, Father, oh, Father. <laughs> what do they do? Daddy! We cry out. Because we need help. We cry out because we know they will come. And you can cry out to your father. And he will hear you. And your voice. And he will know you. And he will come. And he will help. Cry out. Cry out, Abba Father. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness. And he will testify that you are indeed a child of God. And a part of the family. And folks, that changes everything. There's a new reality that you live in. Because you are in Jesus Christ. And it's a reality that says there's no condemnation and there's no fear because you're in the family and God is your father. It changed everything for a man named Ben Hooper. And this is a story, a true story that is told by a great preacher from the past named Fred Craddock. I'm going to read it. A seminary professor was vacationing with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. One morning they were eating breakfast in a little restaurant, hoping to enjoy a quiet family meal. While waiting for their food, they noticed a distinguished-looking, white-haired gentleman moving from table to table, visiting with all the guests. The professor leaned over to his wife and said, I hope he doesn't come to our table. But sure enough, the man came. Where are you folks from, he said. Oklahoma, they answered. Great to have you in Tennessee. What do you do for a living? The man said, I'm a seminary professor. And he said, oh, you preach. Do you teach preachers how to preach? I've got a preacher story for you. And the man thought, great, another preacher story. The white-haired gentleman pulled up a chair, sat down said, see that mountain over there? And he pointed out a restaurant window. Not far from the base of that mountain, there was a boy born to an unwed mother. He had a hard time growing up because every place he went, people always looked at him and taunted him by saying, who's your daddy? He would hide at recess. He would hide at lunch. He would avoid going into stores. For church, he'd go in late and slip out early just to avoid hearing the question. Who's your daddy? 
When he was about 12 years old, this gentleman kept telling the story. A new preacher came to the church. And one day the new preacher said the closing prayer so fast he didn't get out. And he got caught up in the crowd. And by the time he made it to the back door, the new preacher, not knowing anything about him, put his hand on his shoulder and said, Son, I don't believe I've met you. Who's your daddy? The boy felt like everyone around got deathly quiet and every eye was looking at him. And the new preacher, though sensed the situation around him and using the discernment that only the Holy Spirit could give, said the following words to the scared little boy. Wait a minute. I recognize you. I know who your daddy is. You're a son of God. And you've got a great inheritance waiting. The man continued the story. He said that little boy stood taller that day than he had in a long time. And he, he walked out a changed person. He was never the same again. And whenever anybody asked him, who's your daddy? He'd say them, I'm a child of God. The distinguished gentleman got up from the table and he said, isn't that a great story? And as he turned to leave, he said, you know, that new preacher hadn't told me that I was one of God's children. I would have never amounted to anything. And he left. Well, that seminary professor and his wife were stunned. They called the waitress over and they said, who is that man who was just at our table? And she just grinned from ear to ear and she said, oh, everybody knows him. That's Ben Hooper. He's the former governor of Tennessee. If you're a child of God, everything changes. There's no condemnation. There's no spirit of fear. And who wouldn't like to live with less fear? What would it be like to live with no fear? No timidity. What would it be like to live with confidence, with power, knowing who your father is and what family you belong to? What would our church look like if we had no fear? We'd be generous beyond imagination because we're heirs. We'd, we'd live with a philosophy of abundance. We'd be able to put other people before us because we were so confident in our place. We'd speak the name of Jesus with boldness. Because there's no reason to be shy about our Lord. We'd have no reason to be defensive or protective or fragile. We'd take more risk for the kingdom of God. We wouldn't be rocked and shook by the latest stock market or election or news cycle. And we'd never fear an enemy because we would have no fear of death. That's the way that God has called us to live. That's, that's, the, that's the life lived with no fear. No timidity. No condemnation. Because we're a part of the family. And we can cry out to God.
I want you to listen to a song this morning. This song is going to lead us as we think about Romans chapter 8. Let these words pour over you and then it's going to lead us into our time remembering Jesus and his death and his resurrection. But listen to these words as God sings this to you and speaks this over you, especially the part that says how I love you. Child, I love you. When the night is falling and the day is done, I can hear you
life that is free of fear is not necessarily a life that is free of pain and suffering. And this is a moment that reminds us of that truth. Suffering doesn't negate your adoption. Suffering doesn't change the fact that you're a part of the family. Suffering doesn't mean you're no longer a child of God. But it does mean that you're co-heirs with a suffering Savior. And it was our Savior in the garden on the night that he was betrayed and tried and the night before he was crucified that he cried out, Abba, Father. And the promise is that as we share in his suffering, we will surely share in his glory. going to have one prayer ask you to think about our Savior as we take this bread and take this cup. Father, we thank you so much for the truth that you have taught us from Romans chapter 8. Thank you that because of what Jesus did On the cross. Right there. In the flesh. That you condemned sin. And if we are in Christ. Then there's no condemnation left for us. Thank you for that. We're reminded of that today. That in the flesh sin was put to death. And we do not live according to the flesh. But we live according to the spirit. And we have the righteousness of our Lord Jesus. And that's all an amazing and wonderful, graceful, merciful gift from you. So we as a church take a few minutes to say thank you for that. Thank you that we don't have to live in fear. Thank you that we are a part of your family. Thank you that we have this incredible, intimate, beautiful relationship with you. As our Abba Father. Thank you for giving meaning and purpose to our suffering. For walking through our suffering with us. And for the glorious promise we have that just as Jesus endured suffering because of the glory that was set before him that same glory is set before us because we belong to him and so we thank you for his body broken and his blood shed we thank you in Jesus holy Perfect, wonderful name. Amen.